0: Welcome to Unmiked, a video series that blurs the edges that connect the world of opera to just about everything else. My name is Joe Spector and I'm the President and General Director of Arizona Opera. As a kid who grew up in Miami, Florida with dreams of being a hard rock star when I was an adult and who later ended up picking martial arts up and training in that for a big portion of my life, I have found those previous dreams and passions feeding into my everyday leadership of this opera company against all odds. The idea of Unmiked you know, came from this notion that really disparate lifestyles, passions, hobbies, experiences in a world that's totally unrelated that connects to the world of opera so that we can bring together people from these different lifestyles through this really wonderful art form. During each episode I will be joined by a recognized professional from the opera field and a professional from another field who engages in similar work to demonstrate just how the elements of opera are the elements of our everyday lives. Hi, I'm Joe Spector, and welcome to episode four of Arizona Opera's Unmiked, the show where we find the blurry edge between the worlds of opera and just about everything else. I'm uh, really excited about this episode, which I am uh, calling Jamming with the Doc Stars today, to uh, shine a light on a really special area uh, that is so important to opera and how that ties to the world of high performance outside of opera. We have two really wonderful guests here today. Dr. Gwen Corvin, MD, who is a uh, e- ENT board certified from the American Academy of Otolaryngology based in Manhattan. And Dr. Michael Lee, MD, who is board certified in orthopedic surgery based here in beautiful Phoenix, Arizona. It's so welcome, uh, so wonderful to have you both here with us today. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you, Thank you Joe, glad to be here.
2: Thank you for inviting us.
0: It's, it is our pleasure. Uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to do something that I rarely do. I, I, I want to read each of your bios because you guys have some serious street cred, and I would really just love for the viewers of this show to know uh, who it is they're visiting with today and your backgrounds and the level of expertise that you're bringing to this conversation. So I'll start with, with Gwen. Uh, Dr. Coravin provides personalized care for the full range of ear, nose, and throat, And her expertise include the diagnosis and treatment of a wide range of throat and voice disorders, ear, nasal and sinus problems, as well as head and neck ailments. And I can tell you, as a former singer, I have had all of those at one point or another. (laughs) Dr. Coravin is a renowned voice expert who treats the world's most famous singers, actors and public figures, which include Celine Dion, Audra McDonald, Lady Gaga, John Mayer and more. Dr. Corvin is also the Clinical Assistant Professor of Otolaryngology at New York University School of Medicine, frequently appears on TV as an expert on vocal health, and has authored a major voice textbook, now in its fourth edition. That's just amazing work, Gwen. Thank you so much for being here.
2: Thank you.
0: Dr. Mike Lee, MD, is a board certified doctor in orthopedic surgery and received his medical degree from the University of Arizona in Tucson. Arizona offers birth city. Dr. Lee is the retired head physician and orthopedic surgeon for the Major League Baseball team, the Arizona Diamondbacks, and the NFL team, Arizona Cardinals, and served as the orthopedist for the USA World Baseball Team. Dr. Lee also maintains a private practice that specializes in sports injuries, concentrating on injuries to the knee, shoulder, and elbow. He is a member of the American Orthopedic Society of Sports Medicine, the Association of Major League Baseball Team Physicians, the NFL team, Physician Society, and more. Uh, it's it's just great to have you both, both with us today. Uh, as I said before, um, I think I probably tore a rotator cup holding your bios. They're so heavy. Uh, <laughs> the work that you've done is so tremendous. Uh, Gwen, I think it's worth just uh, honoring the, the way in which we came to. I uh, get to uh, connect with you today. Uh, Michael Maniaci, who's on our development team here at the opera and accomplished countertenor with... I think about 20 years on the stage said, if you're gonna do an episode with, a, with an ENT, you have to talk to Dr. Gwen. So um, thank you for taking good care of Michael and, and hopefully we're, uh, we're, we're, he's in good hands with us here. <laughs> and uh, Mike and uh, Marsha Lee are a wonderful opera, opera family members here, Arizona Opera, uh, who I've just been uh, honored to uh, spend time with you know, at the opera in the lobby uh, at, the, uh, at the plaza outside having a glass of wine. Uh, but your career has always been a fascination to me. I, I love football, I, I love a variety of sports. We talked a minute ago about uh, MMA. And uh, I, I think the, the work that the two of you do uh, really is uh, very closely related. You're both working with people at the top of their fields in, in this incredibly specialized area of medicine. So, so to dive in with the questions here, and, and uh, Gwen, let's start with you. Um, you're, you work with patients who, who are at that highest level of international accomplishment. Uh, how did you find your way here? How did you get to this job? This is a very unique profession.
2: Yeah, no, that's a really interesting question. Um, I started out, obviously, as we all do, doing, just doing general ear, nose and throat. And what happened was that while I was an intern at Lenox Hill Hospital and then a resident at New York Eye I got to know um, someone, Dr. Wilbur James Gould, who I always call was one of the founding fathers of voice. He started the Voice Foundation. He was one of the people that put together um, singing teachers speech pathologists, scientists, doctors, and and really forged the way for everybody to be in collaboration. And he had been doing this kind of work for many, many years. And I was fortunate enough to meet him and to get to know him. And then he actually offered me a position to come in and, and help him. In medical school, actually, I became really interested in voice it's, it's strange we only had a two-week elective in ear nose and throat and one of the days that they showed videos there was a woman in a room showing videos of vocal folds and it was so fascinating to me it's one of the highlights i remember it more than anything else a medical school and lo and behold years later i started to work with dr gould and i remembered that day so clearly and it's amazing that i ended up doing that work and getting to know the person who showed those videos so well years right. later or so
0: But there was just yeah, something right. there was just something that captivated your imagination
2: exactly when well, you see it's it vocal folds are fascinating to look at you know we do a lot of videos flexible scopes and rigid scopes and it's just incredible if you see it what amazing sounds and you know because you deal you worked and sang and Michael, what it is to hear great voices. And it's amazing that they come from this little set of vocal folds and everything else surrounding them. So
0: Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And, w- and what about you, Mike? Uh, how, how did you get to, to your place? Was it the same sort of thing where you were inspired by a, an x-ray of someone's, <laughs> someone's shoulder or back or, or where along the line of your medical study did you say, this is the area for me, this is what I'm most interested in?
1: Yeah, I I think it was um, similar. You know, I remember starting medical school, being very excited and keeping an open mind about, uh, you know, what field should I go into? uh, Where would I find myself best matched? um, And an athlete growing up, um, playing sports uh, and really enjoying uh, the immediate gratification of... Of, uh, of of taking care of something and fixing it and then it being done again sort of drew me into the surgical realm, initially and then from there, um, you know, going through the various rotations as Gwen had said, I was just really drawn to orthopedics. Um, I had had a master's degree in exercise physiology, uh, an undergraduate degree in biochemistry and physiology, so I was always drawn to the you know to the physical mechanical parts of the body. And uh, naturally, I thought that uh, orthopedic surgery could kind of fit that interest of mine. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, I took that course and uh, then, went, then decided what once inside of orthopedic surgery to do a fellowship within sports medicine. Um, and so that's what allowed me to kind of uh, pursue those. It's been a, a, a wonderful run and I'm still enjoying it greatly. And uh, you know, I feel fortunate to have that opportunity.
0: Great. It, it seems like both of you have really cool jobs. I mean, as, as doctors go, you know, there are specialties that are that are not that don't have the cachet of what you guys get to do. You get to you get to work with just these uh, fascinating, um, fascinating individuals. And, and we'll get into what that uh, dynamic is like on sort of a human level in just a minute. But but before we go there and sticking with you, Mike, for just a sec, you, you know, you, you, you described. You know how you came to sports from, uh, from from your medical training and how you sort of fo- followed that tributary down into to where you are now, but was there anything in your past, whether as a kid or anything like that, that sort of uh, did you ever play sports, something like that, that that form, helps you form an emotional connection to your work, and and I ask this question because in, in the opera business. Uh, We're very much uh, uh, an inmates-run-the-asylum sort of practice. Uh, I I was a former opera singer, and now I'm the general director. Uh, Michael Maniachi, who we talked about a little little while ago, our our, um, uh, major gifts officer, uh, same thing. And, And I just wonder if you connect to sports directly from your own bio going back.
1: Oh, for sure. I think there was a big connection. I mean, growing up, I was a young boy that loved to be outside. I mean, Arizona sort of makes itself available for that. Um, you know, year round, which is, you know, unique in one sense. Um, So I played all the sports growing up uh, and then eventually, uh, and I enjoyed every one of them. And um, eventually when I got into high school, I was playing all three sports and then, and as well, I was a swimmer and it turned out that swimming turned out to be probably my, uh, I was probably the best at, so to speak. And then I went on to, to swim in college and beyond the master's uh, and, you know, triathlons and things along those lines. So I was always into sports and working out. So certainly that was a big draw to me that if, you know, and I, and I had some minor injuries, but, uh, you know, I never blew out my knee or blew out my shoulder, Mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, as I saw patients that did that, I had a personal relationship of, you know, I've been there, I know what they're sort of going through a little bit. And uh, I really enjoy that, that uh, camaraderie, so to speak, with the, uh, you know, their desire to get back to competition and, and able to, to keep them uh, fit and working out. Uh, and so I think that was you know, the natural uh, draw for me, for sure.
0: Got it, got it. Yeah, I, I didn't put this on any of the preparation material, but you're talking about swimming. What's the most common swimming-related injury?
1: You know, it's mainly an upper extremity sport. So by far, shoulder is the most common injury in, the, in a swimmer. Uh-huh. Uh, you rarely get lower body injuries, but the shoulder, you're just churning through that water with resistance, you know, for four hours a day. And, uh, you know, and uh, so you get a little overuse there. And uh, that's that's the most common by far
0: right gosh you must see so many shoulders I can only imagine I'd see a lot of yeah. <laughs> but over to you Gwen so uh did you ever have any background in singing were you ever in chorus growing up were you interested in singers where's that connection
2: yes I was you know I was thinking about that it actually goes back to I grew up going to summer camp and would always be in you know the summer production or whatever it was I remember being in Fiddler on the Roof for instance and Being in the chorus, I was never (laughs) the solo person. Also high school, I grew up in New York City, actually in Brooklyn, and we had something called sing. High school Mm -hmm. sing where the different grades would prepare a whole show. You'd rewrite the lyrics to songs and you would would actually design a story around it. And I both wrote lyrics and I also was in the chorus, again, Mm -hmm. for that. Um, You know, then once I started later on, oh, we're also growing up in New York and having access to Broadway and being able to go to Broadway shows was incredible. And my parents used to get the soundtracks for all the various Broadway shows, so I would listen to it coming home. I do have to admit, and I should tell Mike that I wanted to listen to this, and my father would come in turn it off and turn on sports. But Uh, anyway, (laughs) he had been a professional athlete in his day and they weren't as interested in music. So I grew up with both music and sports. Uh, And then once I started more in the field and getting interested, I did take some voice lessons in order to know what the process was like, really, right. I got through a lot of master classes, but I, you know, I'm not someone, I think I'd rather hear my patients performing than hear me <laughs> singing,
0: right? right. Uh, yeah. So, gosh, you know, it must be exhilarating, uh, you know, for someone that, that celebrated artists, uh, singing artists as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a kid, uh, then to be able to help them when they have challenges. I mean, that, that just seems like a big rush. But before we go to this next topic that's that's an extension of that, I have to ask you just straight New York question. Where in Brooklyn?
2: Oh, so an area called Flatlands.
0: Flatlands, okay.
2: Oh, so Brooklyn, it's it's.
0: I lived in Bay Ridge for a summer, oh, but I lived okay. all over New York for a decade.
2: So. the other end of Brooklyn, like way out in the south. Gotcha,
0: so. gotcha, gotcha.
2: But we still managed to come to New York and see shows and go to some games at the gardens. <laughs>
0: It's all New York. It's all New York. Um, So, so both of you have this uh, reverence or appreciation for the fields that you serve, the athletes that you serve, or the vocal athletes. Um, And and I'm just fascinated with the general idea of high performance. And of course, that applies to both of you as well. Your patients are counting on you uh, each and every day to really bring your A game. And 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 so staying with you for a moment, Gwen, um, this is this is like one of those uh, you know I don't know if it's a time management question or, or what, but it's what do you do to ensure that you're able to perform at your highest level for people that are counting on you? It, it's uh, uh, such a profound extent. It's
2: you know I think staying in the best um, both physical and emotional health, in other words, being. A, I do uh, I work out a lot, do a lot of aerobics. I try to keep myself going and and just doing things all the time, obviously getting enough rest. but you know, on the other hand, also accepting and loving the fact that I am available to my patients twenty four seven so when they need it, and you don't get calls like medicine, and especially when you're taking care of these type of patients that, that we both take care of is not a nine to five, Monday to Friday job. They just don't always have the problem. You know, they get out of a show at um, 11 o'clock at night and you're getting the call, can you talk to this person, can you see them? So it's a matter of just staying very clear and level-headed in the availability all the time.
0: This is sort of a, a pre-COVID question, but um, I know that a lot of singers when when they're, under some sort of duress, you know, they might call on their voice teacher to, you know, to certainly to talk to them, but even to travel for them to, you know, to, to do a checkup and get everything back in line. Do you get those calls? Do you have to, ever have to hop on a plane or a bus or a train or a bicycle
2: yes. to, to get to a thing It has happened I've yeah. <laughs> multiple yeah. times. I mean, uh, more of it is probably, you know, local going to the Broadway theaters or going to see somebody in their hotel suite or their apartment. But I have definitely hopped on some planes to go yeah. see people. And you really have to just be ready and be able to adjust your schedule because mm. that's what it takes to
0: to really care for these type of, you know, high level performers. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a, such a type of trust. They invest in you uh, to, to, to take care of this, as you said, these, these tiny little box, you know, yeah. is, is yeah. their whole career. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Mike? What are, what are the routines, the structures that you put in your life in your day to keep your mind sharp, your body sharp to do that? It's physical work in addition to being mental work. What, 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 is it, what is the magical combination for Mike Lee?
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree with, with Gwen's approach. I mean, that balance, right, of life. Um, you know, we, we both work, you know, crazy hours. And, you know, availability is, is a plus And you've got you to be there for them. At the same point in time, you've got to take time for yourself. Uh, so I get up early, work out for a good hour or so um, prior to getting to work. Um, and I make that a priority and, um, you know, so that kind of helps my mental status, not just my, my physical, it helps me. Uh, I think it gives me energy. I think it gives me clarity of thought, uh, when I'm, when I'm exercising and working out to get time to sort of mull over my day and, uh, or mull over a recent patient or, you know, concern I have of, a, of an injury and, and what's the best way that we're going to address this. Uh, so that certainly is a big part of it. And then, you know, As Gwen said, you know, eating healthy as best we can and trying to get at least at least six hours sleep for me. Love to get seven. Um, Those are those are really good things that help me stay on my game.
0: I bet. You know, I I don't know about you and I I suspect I suspect this is true for for both of you. Uh, This is such personal work that that all of us do, that all three of us do. And these, these are very human fields where interacting with other folks is, is really the, just the heartbeat of what we, what we are. Um, is it hard to shut it off at, at night? Uh, start, starting with Mike. I mean, if you've got a patient who's in a tough spot and you're trying to get them around that corner, uh, you know, d- are, you, are you able to find a space for you to protect and, and make sure that you're able to sort of cordon that off, or, or does it, or is it just all-encompassing and you are you're Mike Lee MD all the time?
1: No, um, I think at one point in time when I was uh, younger, it, it would be more all encompassing for me. And it certainly can be depending on the situation, but I've learned to, to do, you know, I've got to get my, my own time. I'm going to be better for them if I'm sort of on this for me. And so I have no, no problem hitting, the, hitting my pillow and going right to sleep. Uh, that's been an advantage for me. Um, but, uh, but uh, certainly, if I have a difficult situation that I'm mulling over, I may wake up in the middle of the night and and suddenly, you know, wow, hey, this is this is the approach we need to take, or um, you know, so forth. So sure, I'm sure I'm dreaming about it, but uh, but I, it's it's so important for me to to get my time. Um, I really think that helps me treat them, you know, even better. So,
0: I, I think that's probably right. What what about you, Gwen? Is it the middle of the night you dream of, uh, you know, removing someone's nodes, or <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's either like Mike said, the middle of working out when all you know you're just doing, and you know whether it's running or swimming, which I like to do, when you just get this brainstorm suddenly, or the middle of the night when you think when I think of something and realize that that's the way something should be approached. Um, I know you you talked about some of the voice teachers, you know, going and jumping on a plane. And and one of the things also is your, my life, a lot of the people that I know and socialize with are some of the voice trainers and voice teachers and all. So it all gets mixed up together. And a lot of times, even when you're in a, I'm in a social situation, we're ending up discussing medical performance related things so it, it is sometimes very hard to separate the, the two. Uh,
0: that's um, uh, that's that, that sort of was a natural segue to the next place I want to go which is um, you know what are the common issues that you see most often Gwen with with high performers in the in the fields that you work with and and, and in particular, reflecting on that question, um, what, what if you were advising up-and-comer uh, singers in Broadway, opera, what have you, um, what, what do you wish they knew uh, about their craft to protect themselves so that they can grow in a healthy way, if you had to just pick one thing?
2: Well, I think the medical issues, some of them are very similar to what other people will get, people will get get sick or they will overuse their voice. It's just that the performers don't often have the, the, the time or the freedom to be able to just rest and get rid of something. I mean, they, they feel the pressure to perform all the time, um, which is something that and the travel schedules can be crazy. And the, the not only travel schedules, the travel conditions being in different hotels the environment not being great, not always a being able to eat like they should all of those things. So the medical issues end up getting magnified in the like high level performers. Mm-hmm. And the, the well, sometimes early on in the careers, they feel like they have to say yes to everything. And they're doing night after night after night of shows. And then once their careers are at a certain level, they're able to actually sometimes adjust their, at least their performance schedule, but then there's a lot of demand for interviews and meet and greets and all of those type of things, which become a big problem. You know, I would say for young performers, the, the one other thing with the medical issues too, is that I would say is most important is really early on, establishing a relationship with a um, physician that takes care of performers that will know them and know them well so that if they're on the road and something is going on they can always you know I have a lot of people who travel all over and I get these calls they've seen a doctor that said oh my gosh there's something wrong and you know this person's right you know, baseline condition. So I think really establishing someone that you can call on to ask any questions you need and know you so well, I think is so important for younger singers to have that, and to know what also things look like when they're at their baseline. So, so doing, I mentioned those scopes like the fiber optic or the rigid scope and just knowing what their vocal folds look like and how the rest of their their system works. And so that going down the road, if anything is going on, they at least have the baseline there.
0: Right. That's, that's such great advice. And someone had told me early when I was a singer, you know, find the two or three people that you really trust and make sure you're always listening to those folks as you go through. And I I hadn't necessarily thought of uh, the ENT is part of that team but it makes total it's, I mean, it makes complete complete and utter sense that um, that that would be the case is there a is there a malady that you see most frequently with with singers uh reflux uh vocal hemorrhages I mean uh, it's it would just be I'm just curious about that uh, there's certainly ones that seem common to me Mike mentioned Uh, shoulder injuries with with swimmers is there something that you see more than you see anything else?
2: Actually I think you hit the nail on the head which is reflux is probably um, laryngo reflux or gastroesophageal reflux where you're getting stomach acids coming up and irritating the throat and the voice box is probably one of the most common things and people say well why is it so common in singers? It's common in everybody, but why is it, it's more of a problem singer is because their throats are more sensitive. They're also the way they're using their muscles and their diaphragm and their schedules. You know, with if you're performing at eight o'clock at night, you're not living a normal life where you may be eating at different times, not eating the right things, the stress of everything. And then reflux then is responsible for making the throat more vulnerable to other problems. So yes, I would say reflux is the biggest underlying issue. And then you get the other things on top of it.
0: Yeah, yeah that that was a shock to me. And I really didn't know much about reflux until I started experiencing myself when I was uh, at the Academy of Vocal Arts. And it, it just sort of came out of nowhere. I'd never had issues with it before. And then I found that after lunch every day I was losing my voice and I didn't know why. And it, it turned out, you know, when I have General So's chicken, um, and I get it on spicy, uh, and I and then I go try to sing Lucia de Lammermoor, I'm not gonna have a voice an hour. Um uh, so so no one sings Lucia de Lammermoor probably in your office, uh, Mike, but uh, what what are the most what are the most common issues that you see with with your patients, and and then the second piece, and I and I do think these are related questions, uh, uh, because so many injuries, I think, are chronic injuries and bad habits sustained over a period of time. What what are the what are the most common ones you see, and um, you know that you would warn young athletes against?
1: Be careful with your knees and. Or sure, whatever. sure. I think the most common thing I would, you know, in in my field, it's it's overuse, overuse. Um, to various parts of the body, depending on the sport, of course. If you're a thrower, that's going to be your shoulder and your elbow. If you're a swimmer, your shoulders. If you're a track athlete, a basketball player, your knees, and particularly a soccer player, your knees. And so, you know, you're using these these uh, you know areas of your body, and you're just repetitively doing this all the time. Not only you're playing in high level games, but you're practicing almost daily. And the interesting thing I think that's developed over the years in youth sports um, has been the specialization of playing one single sport so that if you're good at it, then you're going to stay at it. You want to get behind the other kids that are that are staying with it. And that leads to these young people playing for three and four teams at the same time, and they never get a break. And then they, what happens is they get these overuse injuries. And in a younger person, it might be what we call a growth plate injury where their bones will actually sort of separate at the areas of weakness where they normally grow very quickly. Um, and so what you, what you end up doing as a physician, as a surgeon is, you know, letting them know, Hey, it's okay to take time off and you need to take time off. And I always reflect to them, listen, professional athletes, don't play baseball 12 months a year like you are. They play it for six, nine months, depending on how far their team will go. But they take a full three months to rest, rehabilitate and to reset. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, it's really important for, for you to do that. And I encourage it um, for them to play, if they wanna stay in different games, to play different sports. So you're not constantly doing the same thing, throwing the football, you know, every day, but you're, you know, shooting a basketball. Now you're still using your arm, but in a totally different way, your muscles in a different way, and a different load on your joints. So you don't get that overuse syndrome that, that we see mm-hmm. so often. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's a matter of balance, take some time off. Um, make sure you take time to maintain your your muscle balance and you know, the contra- the opposite side of your body. If you're in a single-sided sport, like a thrower or a batter, they're always on one side. You need to make sure you stay developed on the other side as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of things, but I would think, show that overuse syndrome is by far the most common thing.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and yet at the same time, the, the pressure on young athletes or young singers to always be there for every play or, or sing full okay. out on every aria is incredibly okay. intense. And it, it, uh, it and yet at the same time, if you don't protect yourself, no one else is going to, right? Right. That sort of goes to Gwen's point about making sure you have that person you can call up, a neon ENT or or uh, orthopedist on your on your team is going to be able to say it's okay to sit this one out and restore your restore your body. Um, th- this next question is one that, uh, that Michael helped me think of, and it's really interesting. I'm going to start with with Gwen, which is. Among the different types of vocal artists that you work with, whether they're opera singers or musical theater belters, uh, broadcast journalists, uh, whatever, whatever the case may be, do you see a, a range of different kinds of medical issues among that spectrum? You mentioned that, uh, that reflux was a common malady. Is that particular to a certain area? Do, or do they t- tend to be more broad spectrum when people come to your office? It's going to be one of these three things most of the time.
2: It tends to be broad spectrum. I think getting used, to, um, getting back to what Mike said, overuse is probably the other biggest problem that we see now. Opera singers, at least, unless they're rehearsing, you know, constantly, and you know, once they get to a certain level, they're only doing that role, say, every third night or every fourth night. So we don't always see as much overuse in opera singers, they have the other problems. The Broadway belters who are doing eight shows a week, plus they're rehearsing during the day or they're doing something else or they're getting called in for put-in rehearsals, they even tend to overuse overuse their voice more than some of the other people. Um, The broadcast journalists, they may be dealing with more technical things and equipment. So you see different problems in the different different groups, some similarities, some some differences in them. Gotcha.
0: Well, that, that probably keeps the work interesting, though, just to have that variety.
2: Absolutely.
0: Uh, what about you, Mike? Uh, you, you already sort of touched on this, uh, different injuries for, for different sports. Um, maybe, maybe thinking more about uh, the idea of uh, rehabilitation for those injuries. Talk just a little bit about that. Since we touched a little bit on the already on the the particular injuries you're most common to see, what what is what about the recovery process across that spectrum?
1: Yeah, part of the recovery is you know preventing injury. You know, not only healing injury but preventing injury, right? Or or doing a what a pre rehab, Um, and so making sure that that uh, you know. That the you know if, if this if this young man is out throwing, you know six days a week, um, that he maintains a, a specific workout that we have written for him very thoroughly to maintain his muscle balance. Because you'll tend to overuse it, one muscle will get extremely tight and strained, and then you start to break down the rest of the body. You know the shoulder gets injured, and you're not with the same mechanical angles that you were, and then suddenly that throws out the elbow. Mm -hmm. And so it's a matter of of not just treating, let's say, um, the the swollen knee, but you want to make sure that that hip is good. You want to make sure that that hip has normal muscle balance and flexibility is critical. Um, And, you know, when I look at a thrower that's got a shoulder injury, I'm looking at their great toe that they're pushing off on as well as the rotation of their hip that they're landing on and i'm making sure that they don't have some problem with their elbow so you look at the whole what we call the kinetic chain mm. so the whole process of the body and so rehabilitation joe is critical and not just that specific body part but really evaluating the whole the whole body as 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 the uh, to be conditioned and, and trained appropriately
0: Wow, you're making me feel really guilty about never doing the stretching part of the workout when I have the video, and I like to just fast forward as fast as right, possible.
1: Right.
0: The, the kinetic chain, I love that, and you, you may not use that exact terminology, Gwen, but there's that same systematic concept. Uh, I, I, when I had my reflux issues, um, you know, I was finding that I was pushing I was getting course and you could probably scope me and see there was issues there but if you're not looking further down and figuring out what's going with the GI stuff you don't solve the whole problem so I guess you must do the same thing look at the whole system right
2: absolutely look at the whole body because it's yeah. even you know we're oh. we talking about the vocal folds which are basically two muscles that are an inch long and so many parts of the body will affect it anything in the upper respiratory lower respiratory system um gastric system with the reflux even posture similar type of thing we're also looking Mm -hmm. at somebody you know when they're standing and they're performing are they leaning toward one way or the other you get the the singers who are also um play instruments and they may be leaning one way or the other Mm -hmm. so there's there's that similarity to what happens to the athletes as well and we really have to look at the whole body and make sure that the patient has really the right team of people to work in with them, besides just the doctor and the voice teacher. There's a lot of things that go into it and a lot of body work that has to be taken care of.
0: Yeah, Yeah, you're doing an equally good job of uh, making me feel guilt about my Alexander Technique (laughs) dropout and uh, Feldenkrais, it's like, You know, that stuff is so important I, I'm not denigrating at all but it it takes uh, it takes a kind of patience you know because so so often we get that big juicy aria you know and uh, we just want to dig straight into it and start squealing away on the high notes but you have to take care of that whole system and everything needs to be playing nicely together so you can do it at the top level so 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 this is the this is one of the most sensitive this is one of those sensitive questions I uh, I know you can't talk about specific patients, of course, but, you know, you're dealing with these, these this tiny little muscles, uh, this joint here, this knee there, the kinetic chain, you know, all, all these ideas relating to the physiology of a human being. And there are just times that whatever that problem is, uh, it might not be solvable, or at least not solvable to the extent that that person is able to continue on or continue on at the level that they had previous to, a, to an injury. Um, how do you prepare yourself for that kind of conversation? You've run the whole course. I mean, you've, you've both talked in a way that's obviously very emotional about your work. It's clear that you care passionately about what you do. How do you prepare yourself for that moment where, where there's just not a path forward to be a high level performer anymore? Um, Michael start with you first I'm sure you both had to have this kind of talk
1: yeah and there are ones you definitely don't look forward to and um, you know it's hard I mean a lot of the time I would say Joe that the player or athlete will have some realization that this injury is different than others and I've had a really hard time getting myself back to where I really need to be at that same level again. Um, you know, that shoulder surgery helped me. I don't have pain anymore. I can move it better than I did, but maybe my velocity of my ball dropped five miles an hour. And mm-hmm. now those hitters in New York are just knocking it out of the park every time we see them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and, and so, you know, some of that, I, I think oftentimes they'll come into with some realization. Um, and, and basically what I do is you, whenever you go in and as a surgeon um, and you're going in to fix them, you're telling them, you know what? We are absolutely gonna do the best job that we are capable of doing. Mm-hmm. And we will not, you know, take any shortcuts. And when we're working, when I'm working on you, there is nobody else in my realm in my world, and I will do everything I can. And we're going to get the best physical therapist, the best uh, stretch therapist, myofascial therapist to work with you after. But I tell them right off the top, I don't know if you're going to be back at high level. I think you've got a really good chance, but the problem is, is when it doesn't happen, and then you're you're stuck, mm-hmm. and you know you're telling them. Hopefully they've had a long career, and you said, you know, you got to take this one home. That you can now take what you've and apply this to some of the other folks that are struggling, or, or some of the young people that you can now mentor and and uh, educate. And so hopefully you're taking them in a bit uh, of a different direction. Um, but it's hard. I mean, they have to come to grips with it, and for some people, that's more more difficult than others
0: yeah and and i bet it's pr- proportionally higher for younger athletes who are just at the front end you know something bad happens they they get tackled a certain way you know and they don't have right. that legacy they, they had a legacy to look forward to uh i, I can only imagine right. the and they from. had that
1: dream you know that dream has been now totally crushed and and <laughs> and you know then you realize or you tell them there is more to life than just this, and you got a lot to offer. You might've been really talented at that, but that's the only thing you've maybe pursued. Let's go with something else. Uh, So you try to encourage them. um, But yeah, it's crushing. And you sit there with them and you put their arm around their shoulders and you cry occasionally with them, but that's what happens.
0: How, how do you recover from that? I mean, how? Did, 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 I mean, it probably is like your own mourning process because of your level right. of emotional investment. It, you do no, you just need to work through it, grieve through it, and move on. Or?
1: Yeah, it's exactly, and you have to realize that um, it—that's life, and it and it it happens, you know, and it happens to in all in all realms of life, and in all different occupations, and all different pursuits. Um, and, uh, I think it's just, if they know that you were there for them and they know that, that, um, you're there for them in the, in the future, whatever you can do to help them, um, it, it sort of makes that transition a little easier. Doesn't make it easy though at all. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, what about you, Gwen? Uh, you know, I think there are some singers who famously have had vocal issues and have either come back or haven't. And I I would guess that there are probably a a large multiple above that of people who, you know, never talk about a vocal issue that they have. There's this among singers, I think there can be this sort of this level of shame, you know, talking about the idea, for instance, that you had, uh, you know, nodes or something like that, and a a worry that that will redound to your reputation in the career. Um, And, and, and there as many as advances in the medicine that there have been, you must have to have that conversation sometimes too. Someone whos you know, the, the vocal folds rigid and it's not going to come back or vocal paralysis or something like that. Um, how do you handle it for, for yourself? How do you get ready for that moment? How do you recover from it?
2: That's it, it, a very tough thing, as Mike said. I mean, being being there for the patient, I, in my practice, I'm very emotionally supportive, spending the time, we said, whether it's, well, putting your arm around somebody now in COVID, maybe, or yeah. hugging them. But anyway, just being there, having the conversation in person rather than on the phone. But I, what I find is a lot of I have a lot of people coming in to me who have been told by somebody else, you know what, you're never going to sing again or you need this done and that. And, and oftentimes it's not the correct information. So they, they might've gotten devastating information from somebody else. And it really turns out to not be that way. So I think really doing the full evaluation yourself and then knowing if the right advice has been given to the patient is a very big, big, big part of this because it's happened many, many times, um, which also goes back to having the, the doctor who really knows you and that you you trust. Um, and there is a lot that can be done in rehabilitation with working with the right, it's really you have to make sure that we're working with the right people. Are they working with the right voice teacher and, or, you know, doing the right rehab, those type of things. So, yeah, but unfortunately there are times that you have to somebody the bad news, but but like Mike just said, like I, I can think of one patient I had who had had some surgery. She wanted to be a singer young, never really quite made it. And she was so encouraged and enthused by what she learned that she's now a speech pathologist working in New York, working with a lot of singers. So taking that expertise and using it as as you have, and as my and people that you work with, using it in a different way, but learning from everything that that you you've done along the way, so important. Yeah,
0: yeah, you know, and I just have to say on that note about speech pathology. One of the things that um, me and my wife, Kate, have been out in front about in our, in our biography is that um, uh, Kate had had uh, uh, two open-heart surgeries early in her life, and uh, during our, the first one during our first year of marriage. And the period of time was, was obviously a, a tremendous stress on Kate, but also on, on her family and all of our friends and, and me personally. And I lost the bottom third of my voice Um, for about three months um, while Kate was during, uh, during Kate's convalescence. And I, I didn't know what was going on. And it turned out that it was all muscular tension, just the stress of caring for Kate. It wasn't even reflux, which I knew I had at that point. And, uh, you know, the people that engage in that work, engage in your work, uh, Gwen, and also you, Mike, it's, it's, you know, to be able to give people hope um, when they think they might be at the end, but they're still, some opportunity um, for, for me, it was a remarkable. I, I lost the voice and then I did all these exercises and I was diligent with the PT and I got it back and um, there really is there really is progress, there's technology and and, and a lot of optimism that I, I feel like you both must have with advances in your fields. and you know we're seeing every day some, development uh, with regard to COVID, uh, COVID vaccines and how rapidly as a society we've gotten to a place where there's a viable vaccine where a previous generation, it would have taken many more years. Um, what, is the, what is the shining light of hope? Where, where have been the most exciting developments in your field, Gwen, with regard to the understanding of, uh, of vocal science, ENT, as it pertains to singers?
2: Well, I mean, one thing there are some people and there's more interested in, in the research area of working with different substances that um one of the the biggest problems we see after surgery is scarring and we can't always control that you do as a surgeon you do the best you can to do the the most perfect surgery but sometimes something doesn't heal well or it's just you know there's nothing that can be done. And there are some research going on with some new new substances that might be able to be injected into the vocal fold or placed in, which could help increase and improve the vibration. So that's one area. And another area is the use of certain lasers. Many years ago when I was starting out, there was only one, there were lasers, but there was just the carbon dioxide laser, which just basically destroyed tissue. Mm-hmm. And now there are lasers that can be used to treat certain vascularities, blood vessels, which, which can really help and are aimed and they're getting better and better now. So those are a couple of things that have really made a difference in in the um, professional voice community.
0: Yeah, I've heard about both of those advances, more with lasers and and this idea of an injection that can help the vibration of the fold. That's so cool. I heard something about that, but it's great to hear you expand on that. Uh,
2: Unfortunately, I don't think it's not quite, it's there where it could fill in defects and that type thing. I think there's still Mm -hmm. research that has to be done to get somebody from, good place to a great place mm-hmm. but you know sometimes just time heals things and and helping people sort of guiding them through the whole process is one of the big things that we end up doing in this field
0: i bet i bet what about you mike where are the big advances in in orthopedic medicine uh, the most exciting things i mean gosh i I shouldn't know what an mcl or an acl or a rotator cuff is or any of those things but we hear about where's the most progress being made in in your area
1: that's a great question that's what makes medicine exciting because it's always evolving and that's what makes my job so fun because i'm learning all the time right um and hopefully i'm i'm um you know not not just going with the wave but actually taking a really uh smart educated view to what is really helpful and, and what is just claiming to be helpful. So the, the biggest thing in, in orthopedics, at least in my field, sports medicine, uh, the minimally invasive surgery, right? Mm-hmm. So the days where, you know, you would make a six inch cut to uh, fix someone's anterior cruciate ligament is now done through, you know, three small half inch incisions and maybe another one inch incision. Mm-hmm. And so you don't have, you know, the effects that that Gwen was alluding to um, that can happen to any good surgeon is scar development, and the less dissection you have to do, the less chance that that will end up with, for instance, uh, a cranky, stiff knee when with a great ACL, and you certainly don't want to see that. But the other thing is is, and I think she was alluding to as well, is what we call the biologics, and so you know the things that are sort of out there now, uh, the uh, platelet-rich plasma injections the amniotic stem cell injections the uh so those things are promising and you know everybody wants this fountain of youth and healing and yet the studies are aren't quite there to tell us what how we're going to do this you know are we really able to grow this new tissue you know i mean that's what our hope is right mm-hmm. um and so all that has spun, and there's huge amounts of research being done and uh, we're just gleaning, I think, the early phases of some of those biologics, and hopefully that will continue to and I think it will. Um, and it's just a matter of, of uh, getting some better and good studies. And, and uh, it's hard to tell folks, you know, you know, this may not work just because your friend said he had a stem cell injection that I'm going to cure you with this. You know, um, People come in and, and have they, they, they have so much access to, to To some science, not to necessarily good science, but they, that then they did in years past, and so they come in with certain ideas. And part of that is is our job to educate. But um, mm-hmm. it certainly is fun. It's a it's a growing, moving field, and and uh, feel fortunate to be involved in it.
0: Yeah, and and that must just keep uh, both of you sort of always having to learn, always stay on the front edge, so that you can serve your patients in the in the fullest way possible. But that's a that's a hopeful note. Uh, in both of your areas for us to tie off on. Uh, thank you for everything that you do for your patience, because if it weren't for that work and your support of getting the back on the stage or on the field, uh, we wouldn't get to enjoy the performances that they, they give to us day in, day out. So you're, you're heroes behind the scenes and uh, we're grateful for that. And, uh, and I am grateful to both of you for joining us for this episode of Unmiked. Uh, Dr. Gwen Coravin, Dr. Mike Lee, thank you for being with us today. It uh, just was a fantastic conversation, and I uh, can't wait to see you both at the opera at some point.
1: Look forward to it. Thank you. Yes.
2: Same. Look forward to it. Great. Thank you so much. Thank
0: you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Unmiked, where we blur the edges that connect the world of opera to just about everything else. A new episode will be released each month, so be sure to check our website, azopera.org, join our email list, and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Unmiked is a part of Arizona Opera's Connection Lab program a new series of digital and public offerings designed to facilitate a connection between Arizona communities familiar with our company, as well as opera goers and others well beyond our state. Arizona Opera is grateful to our lead digital sponsors for the 2020-21 season, Ron and Kay McDougal. Arizona Opera's next-gen programs are made possible through the support of Karen Fruin, Roma Whitkoff, Jeanette J. Siegel, the Valentine Family Foundation, APS, and Jody Pelosi. To learn more about the programs that are part of Arizona Opera Next Gen, please visit us online at azopera.org.